0: morning. Am I? There we are. We've had technical, dif- I've had technical difficulties already this morning. Good morning. I'm Stephanie Haney, if we haven't met. Um, I'm the director of adult discipleship here at Christ Center and excited to get to share with you guys this morning. We've been in a series called Road to Resurrection and we've been looking at moments in the life of Jesus as he has traveled this journey to the cross, to his crucifixion, to his death, and then to his resurrection. And if you don't know, this morning is what is called Palm Sunday, and it's the Sunday where Christians traditionally uh, remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem, riding into the city where he will be crucified just days later outside of the city gates. And I thought that it would be good for us this morning to try to imagine what it would be like if we were there. To be in that moment where Jesus enters the city. I want to start by reading Luke 19, 37 through 38. And it says, When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord or in the name of God. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And when we look at this and we look at what they were saying and what they were praising and what they were doing, first of all, it's important to notice that they were calling Jesus King. They were saying it, they were declaring it, uh, they were waving palm branches. It was a celebratory moment. And I want us to imagine that we are in the crowd and we are caught up in that excitement. We're there, we're in it, we're shouting and we're singing and we're praising. We have seen Jesus, we have seen him heal people. We have seen him take a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread and miraculously provide for thousands. We have seen Jesus go toe to toe with injustice and hypocrisy. We have sat and we've listened to Jesus teach and we have been amazed by his teaching, his boldness, his authority. And so we're in the crowd, and we are worshiping, and we're just so excited, and we have these high hopes that Jesus is going to make things better for us right here, right now. After all, he's going to be our king. And so we're so excited, and we're watching, and Jesus is riding in, but wait a minute, why is he on a donkey? And all of a sudden, as we're waving our palm branches, this question is popping around in the back of our head. Why is he not on a war horse? Kings came one of two ways. They either came on a war horse declaring war, or they came on a donkey declaring peace. And the people in the crowd that day were very hopeful that Jesus was going to come and do a power grab, that he was going to take the power away from Rome because Rome was oppressing them. And so they were looking to Jesus and they were thinking, Jesus is going to fix my earthly problems. And so they're still worshiping, they're still praising, but now they're just a little bit confused as to why he's on a donkey. And then we read in Luke nineteen forty one: as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Now this word weeping isn't the manly cry, you know, where there's one or two little tears that pop out. This is like, The Greek word is kaleio, and it means intense sobbing. It is the kind of weeping which suddenly seizes you, and you lose control, and you sob out loud. This is what we would call today ugly crying, right? That just, you know, you know it. You've been there. Okay, and so first of all, we see Jesus riding on a donkey, so we're a little confused. And now this man that has been operating in power, he has just been, nothing has held him back. Nothing has stopped him. He has been moving forward. And as he's riding in and we're, we're calling him king, he's ugly crying while he's on his donkey. And we're, we're just wondering, like, what is going on? And you and I might be tempted to think in that moment, because we know the story. We know what Jesus is about to face. We know that his friends are going to abandon him in his time of need. We know he's going to be falsely accused. We know that he is going to be brutally, uh uh-oh, brutally crucified. Sorry, guys, one sec. Something got feedback. Are we good? Yes, thumbs up. Okay. Uh, Sorry about that. Um, We know that he's going to be brutally crucified, and we even know this. We even know that God is going to turn away because the sin of Jesus is destructive. The sin on Jesus, not of Jesus, the sin on Jesus, our sin is destructive. And so God cannot be connected to that sin. God is holy. God is perfect. He cannot, he can't be near that. And so he is going to turn his back. So Jesus's own father is going to turn his back on him. And so when we know all this, we think, oh, well, of course, that's why Jesus is ugly crying. Of course, he's thinking about himself, and he's freaking out about what is about to happen. And that's what we would do, right? But that's not actually the case. As we read on, Jesus says these words. He says, how I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes, because Uh, Before long, your enemies are going to build ramparts against your walls, and they're going to encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground. This is hard. This is Bible. This is hard stuff sometimes. Your enemies are going to crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. Now listen to this. Because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation... Jesus is not ugly crying for himself. He is ugly crying because of unsaved people. He's weeping. He knows some of these people that he's crying over are the very people that are going to falsely accuse him and crucify him. And he's crying because he understands the depths, the weight, the destruction of sin. When he talks about that, the, you know, your enemies are going to circle around you and destroy, what he's saying is when we live in sin, when we are not saved from our sin, the play out is over time, it is very destructive. And Jesus can see the destruction that is going to happen. And he's broken for these people that have not received the gift of salvation, of saving from their sin that he has offered them. He understands that sin can sink a person, a family, a community. He is also ugly crying because people are his creation. Jesus created people. He created us. Scripture says we are his masterpieces. And so knowing that he created us, and he wants to have relationship with us, and yet he cannot have relationship with people that refuse to receive that washing, that cleansing, that freeing of sin. And so he's also grieving these broken relationships, and so he's ugly crying. As weeks ago, when I was thinking about this talk, I, I read this quote. I don't know who it's by, but it says this. The task of the leader is to get people from where they are to where they have not been. To get people from where they are to where they have not been. And so this moment where Jesus is entering into Jerusalem is really an interesting moment. Because on one hand... People are waving palm branches for Jesus. They are declaring Jesus is the king. They believe that he is the son of God. They are fully in. And it's a great, joyous moment. But equally, at the same time, on the other hand, Jesus is ugly crying for for lost, unsaved people. So when you read that story next time, Realize that there's two things going on. And as I reflected on where the people were that Jesus was weeping over, they were unsaved, and Jesus wanted to take them as their king. He wanted to take them to a place of salvation, a place where they would be saved. And I was thinking about us online, people that will listen to this talk at some other day, and us in the room. And I was thinking about where are we as a people? Where are we spiritually? Where are we in our souls? Where are we as a people? And where does Jesus want to take us that we have never been? And I was thinking about um, the fact that in a room like this, we're all over the place, right? Like everybody's kind of got some different stuff going on. But two, as I prayed and I really sought the Lord, two things came one of them is that some of us are unsaved people. We're unsaved. We have never been saved by Jesus. There's another account of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, over lost people. And it's in Matthew 23:37, And Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers... How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. Listen to this. But you would not let me. You wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. And I think some of us can be in this place where we have been unsaved by Jesus. We are not saved by him. Maybe it's our whole entire life. Maybe it's one area, one sin area that we have just not been saved by Jesus. And that's, you know, that's the area. Jesus, you can come here and here and here, but not here. And we can be, we can find ourselves unsaved from our sin. If we find ourselves in that place, these are some of the things that, that are true about us, that we find we find ourselves needing to constantly be in self-protection mode. So if you think about mama with her baby chicks, right? And there's that one baby chick that just, Mm-mm, I got it, mom. I got it. I'm, I'm good. I don't need to be over there under your protection. I'm good over here. And what happens? What do we know happens to that poor little baby chick? I just watched a bald eagle out in the field the other day, just swoop down and grabbed up something. And off it went, unprotected. And if we're unprotected, we're always in this self-protection mode. I got to protect myself, I got to protect myself, I got to protect myself. But the problem with that is we're human and we have a capacity. We have a limit. We cannot, it is not possible for humans to protect themselves all day, every day, all the time. And so what happens when we just, we run out and we can't protect anymore? Or maybe we have no peace in our souls. Maybe our lives are barren and bleak. If you think about this and you think about in order to have relationship with Father God, with Savior Jesus, with Holy Spirit, we have to to be forgiven of our sins. And if we're not, we're disconnected. We're disconnected. We're away from God. And so that, that lifeline, that source of life, Abundant life and energy and goodness and growth and healing and all the good things—it's not flowing into us because we are di- disconnected, because we have not been saved from our sin. And I believe that for those of us in the in that place this morning, maybe some of us are still like, "Nope, I got it," but I—I I, I think that's rare. I think most of us just, I don't know, maybe this morning we need to be reminded. Maybe we need to be reminded of who King Jesus really is. Or maybe we just need to be reminded about how easy it is to be saved. Who is King Jesus? He is the King of righteousness. He is the King of the ages. He is the King of all kings. Jesus, this King... He heals the sick. He strengthens the weak. He delivers the captive. He restores those who are broken and hurting. He is the king. He is a shelter in your time of trouble. He is a light when your world is dark. He is the prince of peace, the lamb of God, the Alpha, the Omega. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the king. His goodness is indescribable. His power is incomprehensible. His grace is irresistible. At his name, darkness trembles. In his presence, demons flee. The devil hates him, but could not stop him. Death could not defeat him. The grave could not hold him. Jesus is that king. And if we find ourselves unsaved this morning, it is so easy. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says this, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, and we believe in our heart that Father God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's it. That's all we have to do. All we have to do is believe. And whether you have never believed, and this might be your moment, Or whether you have believed, but lately, man, that that sin has just got a hold and a grip. Jesus is king, he is powerful, and he can save you. It is by believing in our hearts that we are made right with God, and it is by confessing with our mouth that we are saved. And this is what that looks like God, man, I know it, I'm aware of it, I'm selfish. I am so self-focused and self-centered, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please change me. Please free me of that and make me more like you. I want you to be my king, my leader, my savior, amen. It's that simple. We don't even have to do it in a group. You can do it alone. It's that simple. First time I prayed for Jesus to save me, I was eight years old, hiding under my covers up Derby Canyon, scared to death that Jesus was going to come and I was going to get left. Yep. I I mean, I prayed that prayer for days. Uh, Anyway, okay, so that's one place we might find ourselves. Unsaved, and Jesus, King Jesus wants to get us saved. Second place we might find ourselves, this is where I uncomfortably find myself today. Uh is in a place where as I was reading this section of scripture and I was reading about what that word kaleo meant, ugly crying, and I was, the thought really popped into my head and the thought was this. Have I ever loved something or someone to the point that I ugly cried over them because they were lost, because they were not saved by Jesus? And have I ever done that for somebody that was my enemy, somebody that wanted to hurt me, somebody that had hurt me? Have I I ever cared more about that than myself? And as this thought was convicting me day after day after day, uh, I had a couple of things happen that I'm going to share with you, a couple of fun stories this morning. So the first one is Steve and I are driving, we're in Kirkland, we're a bunch of you came with us, we we're at a retreat in Kirkland. And we're driving down the road and he's driving and I'm just watching, you know, you look out the window and just watch the landscape go by. And it's a for sale sign, I don't know, real estate sign, 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 they all look the same. And we get to the end of the line of signs and there's this sign that catches my attention, it catches my eye and it's taller than the other signs, it's more quality, and I immediately see it, I still remember it, it was for a lost cat. And I'm like, wow, somebody really went to a lot of work to try to find their lost cat. Um, and it just really struck me, like somebody loved that cat so much. They went to the, the effort of uh, making a sign, then they went and put the signs out. So I actually made Steve, well, I didn't make him, I asked him, could, could we drive around the very long block in Kirkland and come back because I want to take a picture of that sign. He's like, what? I'm like, I know, I want to take a picture of a lost cat sign, I'm weird. So we drove back around and we pulled in, and as I'm taking the picture, I realize that the owner of this cat is offering a $1,000 reward for this cat. Like, man, that person, that owner of that cat really loved that cat and cared and didn't want that cat lost, wanted to protect that cat, didn't want it to get run over by a car or swooped up by an animal. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking about how the owner really loved that cat. Then there's another story I have of I went to visit a girlfriend, and she had just moved, and she's given me the tour of her, her new place, and uh, she's showing me one of the bedrooms. And I look up on this shelf, and there is this glass cage that's like this big, and it's full-up jungle inside of this cage. I'm like, what is that? And she goes, oh. She says, that's Leslie. I'm like, oh, Leslie loves me, and I love Leslie. I'm like, oh, who's Leslie? Oh, Leslie's the chameleon, and originally I did not want Leslie. I totally didn't want Leslie. Do you know how high-maintenance chameleons are, and do you know how hard they are to keep alive? And so she's telling me this story about Leslie, but... You know, at the point that Leslie showed up at her house with the cage, with all the things, she was like, okay, we have to take Leslie. And so here's Leslie, and her and Leslie have bonded as she has fed Leslie, learned how to take care of Leslie. Her and Leslie, the chameleon, are now buddies. And one day she went to feed Leslie. Oh, which is another thing about chameleons, in case you didn't know, they eat crickets. So what do you do in the middle of winter? Well, you have to drive to East Wenatchee to a special store and buy crickets every week. Okay, so this is all happening, and she's telling me this. And and she says, and then Leslie stopped eating. And Leslie got lethargic, and I could tell he was sick, and I was in a dilemma. What do I do? Leslie's two grams. Do I just kind of let him fade away? She's like, but I couldn't because Leslie loves me, and he's counting on me, and I love Leslie, and and now my family's invested, and my family loves Leslie, and so she said, I called the vet, and I made a deal with the vet. He'd see Leslie for 10 minutes for 100 bucks, so she's like, okay, so then I had to figure out how to get this little two-gram chameleon to the vet, and so she's at the vet, and apparently the vet all of a sudden, is now fully invested in Leslie. And they were there for an hour. And she says, while they're there, and now the vet fully loves this little chameleon, and and they're trying to figure out how to save his life. And um, the vet writes out a half-page math equation to figure out how to save Leslie. Okay, So she's got the plan. She goes home, goes to give Leslie the little drop of medicine. Leslie's little jaws are just clamped closed. They won't open. So now she's got to call her adult daughter to come down to the house to help her unclamp Leslie's little jaws so that we can get the medicine drop in the mouth twice a day for I don't know how many days. Wow, that's quite a Leslie story, Okay, Now, you will be happy to hear that Leslie is healthy and thriving. I think we have a picture. Leslie is now six ounces in weight, and we are all so happy that Leslie is still alive. (laughs) What is the point? The point is that I realized through these two stories that as human beings, we have the capacity. We have the capacity within us. We have the compassion in us for people that are lost, for people that are unsaved, for people that are... They're, they're just being kind of destroyed in their souls because they have not been saved by Jesus. And even if in the moment their sin is not destroying them, over time it does. It destroys relationships. It destroys finances. It destroys our mental health. It destroys all kinds of things. And yet we have the capacity to care about people, unsaved people. And again, the thought, when was the last time I ugly cried over a lost person? That really hit me hard. Now, remembering that a leader's mission is to take us from where we are to where we have not been, I think Jesus is calling me from this place of being dull. I'm just kind of dull. I'm just kind of like, you know, I, I mean, we do church every day, well, I mean, I Maybe you guys don't do church every day. I do because I work here, right? So it's church, 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 and, and it just kind of becomes rote. Our mission is lead people to Jesus and make disciples, and yet in the day-to-day checking the boxes of the to-do list and all the things that we're all doing and the busyness of life, I forget. Weeks, months can go by, and I forget about lost, unsaved people. I just become dull. I become indifferent. I become complacent. And that's where I had found myself. It gets worse. The other night, I was at our Wednesday night middle school youth group. If you, oh, you guys, it's wild in here. Luckily, we have our family life director, Heather, who is amazing. And somehow she manages to get 50 and over middle school students right here, They're in seats about four rows back right in this area, and she gets them all in, and they sit. She gets them quiet. I mean, she's a miracle worker, and she tells them about Jesus, and she tells them about the ways of Jesus and how Jesus loves them, and and she leads them every week to Jesus, and then as she gets done, she has this white piece of paper that she gets passed out to all the kids. And it has soul questions like reflective questions like maybe you know is there somebody that you're really angry with and you're just having a hard time forgiving them you know and 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 is it hard that you know that jesus wants you to forgive them but you're struggling you know and so they'll write their little answers and then uh, most of these chairs are down and so we break out into little groups all around this room and some of the grown-ups lead these little groups of six or seven Uh, some of the groups are huge but We lead these groups with these middle schoolers, and we discuss the questions, and then 8 o'clock happens, and at 8 o'clock, it's time for the parents to pick up their kiddos, and I'm done. Like, 8 o'clock, okay, time to get this place clean. I want to go home. I want to go to bed, but it is chaos in here, and The football is flying, kids are doing cartwheels, some kids on the oculus like going like this, like all over the place. He doesn't even know that there's a world around him. All of this is happening and those little white papers are laying all over the floor. Well, I'm a mom. I've also been a middle school teacher. And what do I know? I know that most, not all, but most middle schoolers move on to the next thing. They have completely forgotten about that piece of paper. They want to play football. They want to jump around. They want to poke each other. You know, they want to do all those things. And so, in my mind, they're not going to come back and pick up their paper. And even if they do, they're not going to get it all the way out the door and into the car and home into their bedroom. So I'm walking around, and I'm dodging, and I'm weaving, trying not to get killed by a whole group of football or football middle schoolers coming this way. It feels like football. And so I take this group of papers, and I head back to that garbage can. And I'm dropping them in the garbage can. And right behind me comes one of our other midweek group leaders. And he starts taking them out of the garbage can. I'm like, oh, shoot, sorry. I didn't think the kids cared much about those papers. And he said this. He said, I care about these papers. Because if they cared enough to write something down on this paper, it matters. It matters to them, and if it matters to them, it matters to me. Oh, I just felt so much. Conv- he wasn't trying to convict me, but in that moment, I was like, oh, man. And I remembered in that moment why church is so important. Because scripture says that iron sharpens iron. So I was dull. I wasn't thinking about what the kids wrote on that paper. I was thinking about going home and going to bed he was compassionate and caring, and he was carrying the burden and the weight for our unsaved middle schoolers, and for our middle schoolers who have been saved by Jesus, but they have no idea what that means or how to follow him. And this guy, this leader that we have at the middle school group, is so caring and compassionate, so he takes those papers home, he reads them, he prays over the kids, and he knows what is going on in their lives. First John 5 says this to us. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Um, What do we need to ask this morning? Where does King Jesus want to take us? I think some of us are in that place where we are dull, we're complacent, we've been doing church forever, and we just kind of forget that there's a whole world out there who are under the weight. It is not condemnation. I am not up here talking about sin and condemnation connected. I am up here talking about the fact that sin hurts It hurts the people that are doing it. It hurts the people around them. It hurts their communities. It hurts. And do we care about hurting people? Are we compassionate? Not to build our numbers. Not. It's because we care about people. Like people care about their pets, that we're compassionate. And we want to help them. And I don't think we can just do it in our own strength. I don't think I can just go, okay, Stephanie, sharpen up. Sharpen up. Come on, girl. Get with it. Start caring about those unsaved people. Come on. It's, for Pete's sake, it's your motto at church. It's your mission. Get after it, girl. I mean, I can have that talk in the mirror to myself all day long, but it's not going to change me, not long term. But God can change me. God can change my heart. And if we ask according to his will, he will give it to us. And so our challenge this morning, our ask this morning is that we ask God to give us a burden for the unsaved. Earlier we read this verse, Romans 10:13, "For everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved." Romans 10:13 is followed by 14 and 15. I can do math, okay? But how can they call on Jesus to save them unless they believe in Jesus? And how can they believe in Jesus if they have never heard about Jesus? And how can they hear about Jesus unless somebody tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? So I'm going to get bold this morning. Nobody gave me the baton and told me, or the power stick, and told me I could do this, but I'm going for it. How will they go unless somebody sends them? I'm sending you, you, and you, and all of you, and all of you, and all of you, I'm sending you out. Not to the people that already go to church. Not to the people that are already saved. To the unsaved people, to the lost people, to the hurting people because sin is destructive. And I'm sending you out, and some of you right now are so nervous, they're like, "You're like, "What are you going to do?" It's easy. This week is so easy. It's like the perfect setup for you and for me. Next week is Easter, and we celebrate Jesus' win and his victory over sin. And Steve is going to be up here talking about Jesus and how good he is and how capable he is of beating the darkness in our lives. He has the power. We don't have the power. But Jesus has the power. And Steve is going to sit up here and stand up here, and he's going to preach it. And if we ask God to help us, I think he will. And I think maybe he will give us a burden for a lost person. Two opportunities next weekend to share Jesus. There's the journey to the cross on Saturday for families and their kids. I was an eight-year-old kid when I got saved by Jesus. Families and their kids, Easter Sunday right here, 10 a.m., All we have to do is just hand somebody a postcard and invite them. Our uh, awesome greeters are going to be handing these out in the back if you want one. And you know what? It's not—don't just take this and throw it in your car without praying. Maybe when you get to your car before you drive away, pray. Because we'll forget. We'll start making lunch for our families, and then the dog will have something in its paw, and then the kid will break his arm, and then on and on. And then it's Easter. That's how it happens. So maybe before you even leave the parking lot with your family, pray, God, give me, a help me care. Help me care, I'm so dull. Help me care. And then see what God does. One final thing, Uh, before Jesus was crucified, he had a final meal with his guys, with his disciples. It's called the Last Supper. Most of you know we do this on a regular once a month. We have communion where we come together. And when Jesus had that last meal with his disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Yeah, you can start opening your packets. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And I think this morning communion is so tied to what we're talking about. Jesus went to the cross to save me to save you from the destruction, the absolute death and destruction that sin causes. Yeah, raise your hand if you, sorry, raise your hand, I forgot to say that, if you didn't get one, and we have awesome people, we'll help you. And imagine if you're Jesus and you pay that price. That's why he was ugly crying, because he knew the price that he was paying to save those people, and yet they went unsaved. He didn't care that the people were worshiping him as king. It wasn't about being king. It was about unsaved people, and he went to the cross for unsaved people. And so I want us to remember this morning, Jesus is suffering. As was common, Jesus was publicly beaten with a leather-thonged whip. Before his crucifixion, tiny pieces of iron and bone chips were tied to the ends of each leather thong causing deep cuts and painful bruises. He was mocked, struck in the head with a staff, spit on, a prickly crown of thorns was placed on his head and he was stripped naked. Too weak to carry his cross, Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry it for him. Jesus was led to Golgotha, where he would be crucified. As was the custom before they nailed him to the cross, a mixture of vinegar, gall, and myrrh was offered. This drink was to alleviate suffering, but Jesus refused to drink it. Scripture tells us that Jesus can connect with us, relate with us, on every level. And if you've ever felt the suffering from your own sin, the consequences of your own sin and that awful suffering, Jesus had our sin on him so he can relate because he refused to be comforted. He went through it. He didn't have to. He went through it for us. stake like nails, big nails, were driven through his wrists and his ankles fastening him to the cross. And the sign above his head read, King of the Jews. So this morning, let's remember that. This is a symbol of Jesus' body and it broken for us. And let's take it and receive the gift of his broken body for us. And Jesus, we just talked about it, he shed blood. He allowed his back to be whipped, bloodied. The nails had to have caused blood in his hands and his ankles. The crown of thorns on his head. He bled to cover, to wash our sin, so we can be in the presence of God. We can be connected to our source that gives us abundant life. We can be connected to that. We can be saved by that. And Jesus did that. So let's remember him, remember Jesus, and take this this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We remember you this morning as a group. Corporately, together, we remember you. And what you did for all of us. And what you did for every lost person. Jesus, we don't take it lightly. In this moment, we remember and we are moved by your spirit. Jesus, we just ask this morning that you would change us. You would forgive us for our sins as a group. that You would wash us clean. And that you would change our hearts from self-focused, self-centered, tyranny of the urgent people to a people that are compassionate and caring and burdened for unsaved people. God, we pray, change us. Give us eyes to see those unsaved people that you cry over. Help us to cry over them too. Jesus, thank you. We love you. We pray that you would make us a pleasing people in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.